Let me run this by my lawyer is a really helpful phrase to have in your back pocket. Legal Shield has been giving legal peace of mind for over 50 years. They connect you to a vetted law firm in your state for an affordable monthly fee. Want an experienced set of eyes on a contract fine print? Or you finally want to get that will done? Legal Shield has a dedicated group of lawyers who have your back, no matter what the future brings. Sign up today at LegalShield.com forward slash iHeart. PPLSI does not provide legal representation or advice. See a plan for complete terms. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so. Exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council.
Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered for Monday, September 23rd, 2019. Roland Martin is off today, and I'm Dr. Avis Jones DeWeaver. The Department of Homeland Security has finally recognized white supremacy as a terrorist threat. The trial for Amber Geiger, accused of killing Botham John, started today. Pittsburgh police are investigating the attack on two black women by the owners of a gas station. We'll also talk about the psych psychological effects of violence on black women. Plus, could dealing with racism be making us physically sick? We'll talk about that. And the Walmart singers go national, and some of the notable Emmy winners from last night will be going through all of that today on today's show. It's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Department of Homeland Secretary Kevin McLeanan announced on Friday that for the first time they are focused on addressing the threat of white nationalism coming from within the borders of the United States. This is good news for national security and extremist experts who for years and with increasing urgency have sounded the alarm about the threat of white nationalist terror. Last week, the House Oversight Joint Subcommittee held a hearing on confronting white supremacy. The panel included, of all people, conservative pundit Candace Owens, who said it's not an issue. But here are a few comments from some of the more credible panelists. Ms. Mulligan, what concerns do you have about white supremacist extremism in the ranks of law enforcement and intelligent uh, communities? And I will add that I come from a law enforcement family, so nothing against law enforcement. So it, it, it's clear that, um, that the threat of violent white supremacy is not limited um, to those who um, are outside of our law enforcement and, and national security communities. Um, you mentioned, um, you know, law enforcement and police departments. I think another place where um, we see signs of radicalization that are troubling is actually in our um, active duty and, and um, returning members of the military. Um, and I think one of the things that um, makes it, you know, the, makes it quite difficult to address is that those are the people who are supposed to be making, you know, keeping us safe. Um, and we should have absolutely no tolerance for those types of ideologies um, in, in law enforcement, in the intelligence community, in any part of the federal government, um, to include the military. Um, and, and I do believe that most of those um, types of uh, employ, employment situations um, have rules and regulations that prohibit it. The question is whether they're being adequately enforced, um, and I think that more should be done in that, in that arena. We look at existing counterterrorism uh, strategies and have to wonder whether they take into account the rise of white uh, supremacy uh, in, 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 as we see white supremacy uh, further penetrating the American consciousness uh, of some 
uh, in our country. Uh, Doctor, uh, I, I guess it is really Dr. Geltzer who I should direct this question to. Uh, how does the fact that white supremacy is so much more mainstream, if I can use that word, I don't want to, I don't want the American public to think we think that they are brought into this, but um, I'll use that more mainstream, at least than uh, Islamic jihadism. How does that um, change the way we think about it in national security terms? Thank you for the, the question, Congresswoman. I, I think the emergence of white supremacism, as you say, not at all as a mainstream view, but instead as something of increasing significance as a threat and a national security threat, I think, uh, I think that needs to get reflected in the strategies that ultimately guide resources and priorities for the counterterrorism pieces of the U.S. government. Do you see, do you see it reflected yet? Uh, uh, probably insufficiently, but my hope is that we're moving and that we will accelerate moving in a better direction. So going back to last year's national strategy for counterterrorism, there was at least explicit reference to it. And I give uh, the administration's strategy credit for including that acknowledgement. Last year's what, I'm sorry? Last year's national strategy for counterterrorism. Yes. Now today, as I believe the chairman mentioned earlier, today the Department of Homeland Security is anticipated to release its own strategy implementing, showing how that department in particular will implement uh, that broader whole of government strategy. And my understanding is that the Department of Homeland Security will be explicit about this nature of the threat. And I think that's an important step forward to do so because 9-11 drove home, it was obvious after 9-11, the importance of acting against jihadism. Here, we need something that drives that home, not just to the American people, but also to the parts of government that answer to those strategy documents. Well, it's certainly about time that we start to consider white supremacy as a terroristic entity that it is. And to join me on the panel today to talk about this is Erica Savage-Wilson, host of Savage Politics podcast, Derek Holly, president of Reaching America, and Joanna LeBlanc of Na a National Security and Foreign Affairs Legal Analyst. I just so, I'm ready for this discussion, uh, but it took so long to get here. I mean, what are your thoughts about this hearing that they've had and that they're starting to have do you think this is enough, and where do we need to go from here? Oh, absolutely not. And I think centuries, and I do mean centuries, of lynchings, of torture, the killings of black bodies and indigenous bodies definitely can prove that. You know, listen, white nationalism has always been a terroristic threat to this United States, these United States of America, absolutely. especially to black communities. And so kind of the slow dragging that we're doing around strategies and things of this nature, we're at a place right now where the executive branch of government has completely submitted and laid out a plan um, around white supremacy. And so uh, black bodies, brown bodies, we're at an even more heightened sense of awareness. Uh -huh. And so uh, to be very honest with you, this is a conversation that's almost kind of like a late entry. Yeah, um, and especially the way it's been categorized that since 9-11 and then kind of like bringing it into um, conversations around jihadis and things of that nature where this has always been a threat to the very citizenry of this country. Absolutely. This country. Yeah. It's almost as if they don't want to talk about white terrorism unless they somehow glean it onto what they perceive as the real terrorism, sure. Muslim terroristic action. Absolutely. And if I could add just very briefly um, that also, you know, just this weekend we had a member of the military 
who was on a phone call with the undercover FBI agent talking about bombing and when specifically asked about action that they could take within Texas, mm -hmm. this U.S. military member responded he wasn't very sure, but that he did have, you know, an idea of a candidate that could be taken out, a presidential candidate, mm -hmm. that could actually cause a little bit of um, controversy, mm -hmm. um, so to speak. And I'm, I'm very much so paraphrasing it. This happened September 20th. The arrest was made on September 21st. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about things that are active. They might not be above the fold, mm -hmm. but we are talking about people who are aligning themselves with far-right movements and using the military and other departments as a vehicle to make those things happen. Absolutely. So, Jonna, when you look at what we've done as a nation in terms of being very specific and very aggressive when it comes to rooting out terroristic activity that we believe comes from outside of the United States, mm -hmm. you know, what do you think, why do you think we fall so short when it comes at looking at what's happening and what's really been birthed and grown and comes into fruition right on these shores? Sure, I, I like to give this conversation a little bit of context. So from 2002, I believe, up into 20, 2017, the United States government spent roughly $2.8 trillion in, in, in counterterrorism efforts, in particular the Iraq War and, and ensuring organizations like um, al-Shabaab and um, um, Hamas don't have access to our shores and, and can't commit in any crimes over here in the, in the United States, which is all great um, to know that we have a country where we spend so much money in our military to ensure that we are protected to um, prevent um, external threats from, from happening in the United States. But however, comma, um, there is this white nationalism, which is a threat to American democracy. Mm -hmm. We look at what happened in Charlottesville, where um, people died, and, and I always say this, one die is one too many. Right. Um, but um, as much as I would like to criticize the administration, not only this administration, but previous administrations mm -hmm. for not having made white nationalism a threat, a, a, a homegrown terrorism issue, mm -hmm. uh, but we have to give credit to the um, to, to the Department of Homeland Security for even initiating the conversation around white nationalism. Now, the question to, the question to me is, how much money is going to be put aside mm -hmm. to ensure that we properly fight white nationalism? Mm -hmm. We can have all the conversation we want, but unless funds are allocated properly to properly fight this problem that we have in society, to me, it's just conversation. Well, that's a very good point. I mean, right at the beginning of this administration, there actually was money allocated mm -hmm. to address the threat of white nationalism in America. And the very first thing that this administration mm -hmm. did was to gut that mm -hmm. program out. I mean, these were, this, this, they made a very concerted effort mm -hmm. uh, with this particular administration to mm -hmm. say, we are going to look the other way. Mm -hmm. I would argue largely because they know those are some of their political supporters. Uh, what well, do you think uh, is, yes? Another thing to look at is um, for America to actually, as, as a whole, say, you know what, white nationalism is an issue. Right. Will be, to a certain extent, indict the system. Right, exactly. Because we know we have some of those, quote-unquote, white nationalists mm -hmm. who are wearing robes, who mm -hmm. are judges, mm -hmm. who are police officers, Absolutely. who are teachers, who are our principals and such. So, so as a society, we have to be careful how we frame things, especially when it comes to white nationalism, because you don't want to indict the entire system. So something that mm. you kind of think about, but you know, most people may not, but nonetheless, I think that's a way to look at it. I think that's why we're so reluctant to do it. But what do you think, are we just giving too much deference to white fragility? That's how I would term this. I would say that I agree with most of everything you guys said. 
that it's been an issue for a long time mm -hmm. and it's been overlooked. Um, and but I would say that the one thing is I think I don't think it's a Democrat or Republican issue. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a national issue. Like I said, it's been existed for a long time. And you go back, you know, a lot of what we experience right now comes from as a result of the Civil War. Yes. And so, um, and during after the Civil War, or during the Civil War, there was only a certain amount of white people who owned slaves, mm -hmm. the rich pe white people. The, um, most of the people in the South didn't own slaves. Mm -hmm. So, but in order to buy into the myth to fight, it was actually the great myth, which still exists today, that white people are superior to blacks. Mm -hmm. And again, that, I think it's more covert right now because we see it in the workplace, mm -hmm. we see it in the court system, mm -hmm. we see it in the media. Right. And so I think it's an issue that needs to be dealt with. I applaud this administration or the Homeland Security for bringing this to the, to the light right now because it should have been done a long time ago. Mm -hmm. But I think that we need to shine the light on, on, a, on a whole. And we just can't call it or one-sided because you look at organizations like Antifa. Mm -hmm. Okay, so they're bringing damage. Who have they? Who have they killed? Right here in Washington D.C., they came here to to wreck this city. Who have they killed? I can't point to anyone. They, they killed. haven't killed anybody. They have beat up a lot of people. Though. They have. They have. But they have zero murders. I, I really think that. Do you know what Antifa is short for? I, I don't, but I know that they go around wrecking stuff. Antifa. Antifa is short for anti-fascist. Right. That's what that exactly. organization stands for. So, so do we, we want to be pro-fascist? Well, I don't think we want to be anti-fascist either. I mean, oh, not, really? when you go, not when you go around beating up people in the streets just because they're reporting the media. And that just happened out in California. I, I think what was, I think that's a slight mischaracterization of what happened there. Uh, what you had well, there was you yeah, had Proud Boys individuals, who, who are, which is a right-wing racist violent organization twisting. that specifically goes... Let me just... I'm not twisting. I'm telling you what happened. What happened was okay. you had an organization called the Proud Boys. Are you familiar with that organization? Yes, uh, And do you, are you familiar with that is a white, right-wing, racist, and violent organization yes, that I'm specifically goes to cities to start violent interactions? And do you realize that that organization, they pay these people to show up at these protests to do that? that Which ones are, are you paid, talking about now? All these, all these protests, these people are paid protesters. Are you talking yeah, about the Proud Boys? The Proud Boys and a lot of these people at these protests at these protests are paid because I know that I've participated. I haven't participated, but I've gone to different hearings and such, and the people that show up at these hearings have been paid to be there. I've even written op-eds about this. There's an organization out in California that you go to their website right now, and they will tell you that they run ads on Craigslist to get people to come out and protest. I am... They've even taken this model over to Europe to do the same thing, to pay people well, to protest. They, they also pay people to fill Trump rallies. Absolutely. I mean, let's just say that this is a common thing on the right, but it's... Go ahead. No, yes. I, I mean, like, it, this is not... That's a playbook that's used by all. And to get Agreed. back to, to the, anti, um, the Antifa piece, I think that's kind of a lot of one of those talking points, so to speak, that gets thrown into conversation sure. to really thwart the larger narrative. The larger narrative being that to be a black body is to always be in a state of being policed. Yes. And that um, with that comes other pieces that really do impact our community. And so for a department that's less than 20 years old that was born um, out of, you know, us giving up some, some certain level of rights in order for this department to be founded and to produce this level of report, 
you say that that's applaudable, that's good, but this is a conversation that has much larger implications Agreed. to what absolutely is the bread and the heartbeat of our country. And, I think and I... so in that, I'm just saying that we have to be very, very mindful because this is being broadcast to other minds and ears that at the heart of this is right-wing white supremacy now, see, and nationalism. That. I don't agree and with that And that has a, 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 because a huge been... impact on when we're talking about how Trump has to date now installed 152 judges, 99 of those in the district courts, and you're talking about 40-plus that are in the appeals court. That has an impact on those very same Absolutely. groups of people. I so um, to keep a group that doesn't cause the level of violence, that doesn't cause um, people to be shot, killed, and uh, continuing to abuse a community, let's put it in the right context. That is at the right, at the hand of people who have submitted to a right wing manifesto. So, jo Joanna, I'm going to bring Joanna into this, because exactly, when we think about, for example, the murderer in, in El Paso, um, and, the, and the manifesto that he wrote, yeah. which sounded like talking points from any Trump speech that I can imagine. But he was a Democrat, and, though, but, Doc. But we are talking about, we're not throwing parties into this. We're talking about a system that is seeking supreme reign, period. That's why I said that doesn't have a party I affiliation. Said, I said that at the beginning. And it doesn't have a religious I affiliation. I said that at the beginning. Either. I said that at the beginning. But, it has but, nothing but to do brought, with the party. But you, brought, but you brought a group into this conversation. So y'all brought that the group not, into it. No, 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 no. You said Antifa first. None of us brought out Antifa, that piece. What I'm saying is redirecting the conversation and the basis of this report, which is long overdue to those people who are actively behind and pushing this, which are right-winged um, organization folks that have submitted to net, people that have submitted right to white supremacy, and they are at all the levels and branches of right government. Wing. That is why they talk about And there's about a reason why military. it didn't say right-wing. Absolutely. Let, let's, let's just but get real about it. This is, Absolutely. And let's also acknowledge that there is a false equivalency. Let's just be very real. There right. is a false equivalency to say that Antifa is equal to the Proud Boys, it is, is equal to the Klan, it is, is equal okay. to these white supremacist organizations that have murdered people in this right. country for centuries. And I agree. Obviously, um, if, if you have uh, white supremacist organizations that go back decades and decades and decades, it's beyond any political party. But as we see where we are today, right. where we are today in terms of the sort of white supremacist ilk and where they typically stand in terms of who they support politically, it is no accident that you have Proud Boys organizing trips to Trump rallies. Right. I don't see them lining up to vote I, for people, for Democrats. Right. I so, I mean, Joanna, I mean, what, what do you think about, you know, where we stand with this particular sort of um, equival equivalence between Antifa, who has murdered zero people? Right. Let's just put that out there. I mean, it's really insulting. It's really... Oh, really? Really? Well, okay, that we, that, we that we know of. But we know... How many do we know of that white supremacists have murdered? How many do we know of... That's right. It probably is more than we can count. I don't know. So that's that's like a that's like an excuse to say that we because if we know of hundreds of people throughout the history of this nature, if not thousands, thousands, thousands of people. What I can tell you, what I can tell you every day that you are ignoring is the fact that white supremacists throughout the founding of this nation has murdered thousands upon thousands upon thousands of black and Indian people and others as well. And we just saw what happened. And we just saw what happened. Right. But we have not seen the equivalent. And You're this is what happens all the time. Yeah. When people want to make excuses for white violence, 
But people, people. want to make excuses for white violence by trying to put uh, and an, uh, trying to sort of lay blame with another organization that they see as counter to that, that is seeking to defend people who are under assault. Right. That is the entire point of that organization. Okay, Doc. Yes. I don't think we can necessarily compare the two. Um, I, I don't even know how Antifa got caught up in this conversation. Got because it's because it's a false equivalency. That's um, what it is. Um, because it's just. You, you can't connect the nexus, just can't. Not in this context, at least. Uh, but you said something earlier that we should not applaud the administration for doing this. And, and I will respectfully disagree, and this is the reason why. This is an administration that has been plagued with the narrative of being racist, of being um, anti-immigrant, anti-blackness, um, anti-minorities, right? Anti-those of groups that are considered to be disadvantaged, quote-unquote, right? Um, the Secretary of Homeland Security is appointed by the, by the President of the United States, as we know. So for the Secretary to have taken this position, I think it's an, it has to be the same sort of belief with the, with, the, with the President of the United States. The Secretary would not have announced that white <laughs> nationalism is an issue without the support of his boss. Now, some could argue Let's that. see how long some, it is before he's fired. Some could argue... Let's see how long he keeps that job. I will start the clock right now. Some could argue that the reason why this um, was this decision was made is because elections around, right around the corner. Sure, right. An effort to get support from minorities and, yeah. and, and those who have been impacted by white nationalists and white exactly. supremacy in America. Right. But nonetheless, um, I think that we should applaud um, the, 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 the Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security for taking this bold step okay. to call white nationalism what it is and to address it as homegrown terrorism in the United States. It's and hard. I stand, okay. And I'll stand flat-footed to say, and I hear you, mm -hmm. I disagree. And so then let me forward that and then title it a regime. Mm -hmm. And so I do not applaud them um, because in, um, in this current place that we're at, um, this, again, is an overdue conversation, mm -hmm. and the assaults are steadily coming. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of like giving somewhat of a semblance of mm -hmm. normalcy mm -hmm. connection to this happening mm -hmm. doesn't work for me. So. Well, I will just say that when you bring in Candace Owens to say, Jesus. essentially, in blackface, uh, that white supremacy <laughs> does not exist, I have a hard time believing that there is any sincerity around really wanting to root out white nationalism in this nation. We have to go to a break right now. We'll be right back. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, you've heard me talk a lot about MarijuanaStock.org because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. And we've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at more than $340 billion. We know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Until recently, hemp farming was practically legal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S., creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. 
They need land to grow all the plants, and that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and leads it to licensed, high-paying tenants. That's right. There are hemp CBD landlords. You can get in on the action. Now, what they've done, 420 Real Estate has done is offer this special deal for the folks who watch Roller Martin Unfiltered. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks. Now, you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200 up to $10,000. Again, this is a $340 billion industry that is still growing. You can participate with as little as 200 bucks. To invest, go to MarijuanaStock.org. That's MarijuanaStock.org. Get in the game and get in the game now. Testimony began today in the murder of the trial of Amber Geiger, who shot and killed Botham Jean last year in his apartment. Geiger was an off-duty Dallas police officer still in uniform when she killed John. She told police that she mistook John's apartment for her own that night and thought he was a burglar. Here is some of today's opening statements. Just like she fails to recognize that she's parked on the fourth floor. She then enters, well, she goes past a skyway that is also open right to her left and right, where she could look if she chose to, either side and see, this isn't right. She either doesn't do that or it doesn't register either. She has a key fob that will allow her access to anywhere in the apartment complex. She uses that to walk into the fourth floor hallway. She has to go down two very long hallways now in order to get to what she thinks is her apartment. But in fact, she's walking towards both. It's a long walk. For someone as young and fit as her, maybe a minute or two. But a minute or two is actually a long time for you to keep on missing repeatedly obvious signs that something is not right. She walks past 16 different apartments and fails to register the number four on any single one of them. Next to the door at this, at this apartment complex, there's a lighted sign. And on the lighted sign is the apartment number. It's a little bit different than most apartments. Everyone that I've lived in growing up, they always have the numbers on the door. But she lived there for two months. She knew where the apartment numbers were located. And she walked past 16 of those without recognizing. Well, maybe the explanation for that is she doesn't look straight ahead when she's walking. Maybe she looks down. All right? There are floor mat differences. Not, not major, but enough that you would notice that something isn't right. She then goes down the rest of the hallway because then she turns left. And she's walking up on Bo's apartment, 1478. And this is the one I really want you all to hear. Amber Geiger has no floor mat in front of her door. Amber Geiger has nothing but the concrete floor, gray concrete floor that looks like the rest of the floor. Both of Jean wanted his apartment to be very noticeable. And he took steps to make sure that happened. In front of Botham's apartment is this extremely obvious bright red floor mat right in front of his door. I want to reiterate, Amber Geiger had no floor mat. She walked right up and stepped on top of this as she entered and placed her key fob into the deadbolt lock of both of John's home. To say that she was aware there was a red doormat 
and knowingly ignored it because she wanted to go into 1478 and shoot this man is preposterous. Amber Geiger was an autopilot. She got to the door and she put her key fob in and in one motion the door is opening and it doesn't make sense because normally you have to turn the handle. And she's trying to process this as she's stepping into her apartment. And at the same time, I'm sure Mr. Jean is thinking, what is this person doing? Who is coming to my apartment? But she's thinking, oh my God, there's an intruder in my apartment. And she's face to face with him. She's within 10 yards of him. And he starts approaching her. And she reacts like any police officer would who has a gun with confronting a burglary suspect. She's got tunnel vision. She's not looking around to see if her little table is there. She's not looking around to see uh, any landmarks. She's not uh, ascertaining any of this because she has tunnel vision. She's in her apartment. My God, there's a man in my apartment and he's big. I call BS. Mm. Okay, um, it, it is. That's just it's 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 insulting to the intelligence sure to is. think that that story holds water. I mean, what are your thoughts about this? Well, I think we can all probably agree on this one. Yes, <laughs> Let's see. we can agree on this. Let's see. I just think, uh, as he said, I think it was all BS. Yeah. One of the things it didn't mention on there is, uh, as you read the article, is uh, she was on the phone with her lover, who was another officer. Um, she had texted him an inappropriate photo while all this was happening, while she was walking up to this thing. All this is in the article. It also talked about how when she first got into the apartment and when she did it, she said, I effed up. Mm -hmm. So she knew all this was, she knew she hadn't screwed up. So now this is just a defense right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it is, as you said, insulting to throw all this out at us right now. Absolutely. I, I think that, um, you know, what's happening here is, um, is a form of defense which is called the mistake of, of fact, right? Mm -hmm. That as the defense attorney here, he, he is, he has the right sure. to defend her um, to his best yeah, ability, right? Mm -hmm. um, and when you have, when you raise a defense such as defense, um, um, a, 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 a misfact, right. um, it kind of takes away some of the liability. It, 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 it can reduce your liability. Hmm. So that's what's happening here. Um, but I think that anybody who can hear, it can read, even if you don't have access to all of the evidence, you can say to yourself, like, you went into an apartment that wasn't yours, and you were on the phone with someone at the time, which means you weren't completely not there, right? right? You were having a conversation with someone else while you were walking towards that person's apartment, and then you ended up, end up shooting him. But there's also another element to the black body how it's always seen as a threat. Yes. Right? The dehumanization of the black body in right. America. Because um, some could argue that if it were a white man in that apartment, would he have died? That's a great question. If it were right. a white woman, would she have died? Mm -hmm. Right? Um, but nonetheless, I think that as a defense attorney to this, um, to this, to this officer, um, the, 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 the attorney is doing his best as raising a defense of missed fact. You raise a good point there about the perceived threat mm -hmm. of the black body. Mm -hmm. And flipping that on his head, uh, Erica, what do you think about the perceived innocent of the white female form? I mean, here we have this white woman who 
murdered this man. I mean, I don't care what sort of charges you want to bring out. He's dead. He's not coming back. Um, But they want to sort of paint her, I understand, as a defense attorney. um, That's his job to do it. As this poor, sort of defenseless white woman who thought that a burglar, Mm -hmm. this big, burly, black burglar was in her apartment. (laughs) And therefore, she did the only thing that she was trained to do as a policeman and murder him. Sure. She and so him. on that innocence piece, so let's let's answer that question. Right. Absolutely. Um, the and We were talking about this earlier, that the grave testifies to those Ambers, um, those other um, folks that are, that look like that, mm-hmm. that have uh, made black dangerous. Right. Um, and so we're, we're at a place where we can almost, or we can pretty much answer how this is going to turn out. Right. Um, which is sad because you're talking about a young man whose life was cut down. Mm-hmm. He was a college graduate. He was a worship leader. He was mm-hmm. beloved by his um, his siblings and by his parents and by his family mm-hmm. and by his much larger community. Yes. And so that's what we have to continue to lift up and personify, that though black people and our bodies are always adulted, even as children, mm-hmm. that we are always unmistakably, no matter where we are on the diaspora, seen as a threat and as something that has to be taken down, that we continue to say his name, both on John and all of those brothers and sisters who, again, the graves are testifying to the types of abuses that black bodies face, Mm -hmm. and also be, um, hold these people accountable and stand with these families, because unfortunately, these patterns that we've seen are baked on the conditioning of who black folks are and right. who white people and are. Also, when, it comes to, when it comes to this issue of sort of exposure to violence, that kind of leads right into our next story, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Protesters in Pittsburgh uh, right now are demanding that a local gas station be shut down after the video of the owners of that gas station is shown attacking two black women, uh, and that video went viral. Look at this disturbing video. Right. She in there wrecking shit down. Okay, mister.
protesters who camped out for a third day outside of the Exxon gas station are concerned that the owners and an employee who assaulted the customer will only be charged with a misdemeanor. The sisters said that the dispute stemmed from a pump malfunctioning that resulted in their gas spilling. According to Pittsburgh police, the women's demand for a refund quickly escalated into a violent confrontation, which a bystander caught on video. Police have launched an investigation and as a result have determined that assault charges should be filed against the station's owner and an employee. Um, I almost kind of wish that the audience could have heard our reactions <clears throat> to that video as it was being showed because I'm hearing, especially my brother, saying, oh my God, oh my God. The I had seen it. It's they need, they... just shocking. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, and as I black women. It goes back to what, what, uh, you, what you were saying earlier, just how we perceive yeah. people. And they felt like it was okay to do that. Yeah. And at some point, they had to think that, you know what, I'm going to get off. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and let me, and, and yep. let's break down why. Because black women are the most disrespected and less protected in this nation. Yes. Malcolm X said that almost 50 years ago, and it still rings true today. Yes. When you talk about why people believe that they could do get away with things like this, you would have never seen a white woman handled like that. Oh, my God. No, no, no. Never. coming to our rescue. That is right. They absolutely know that. And I will say, and then to our community as well, stop spending your money in these places. Thank you. Stop giving your money to these individuals, and I don't care where collectively, stop giving money to folks that don't respect you. They don't respect you. They don't respect your life. They don't respect your body. They don't respect, uh, respect anything around you. They respect money. Withhold it. Go somewhere else. If it's two, three blocks, a mile, great exercise. Get to spend more time with family or something else. But stop giving your money to folks that don't respect you. Absolutely. Because Chakezia Clemens, who two years ago in Alabama was taken down by two law enforcement officers because she dared to ask for to-go cutlery out of a Waffle House, and folks are still giving them money to a Waffle House? Yes. Stop doing it. Absolutely. So after the investigation is complete and arrests have been made, there will still be some healing that these two women obviously will have to go through. Joining me now to talk about that is licensed therapist and author C. Anderson. Thanks for joining us, C. Thank you for having me. I'm sure you heard the truth uh, that Erica just spilled here about the lack of protection for black women. Could you give us some more insight on that? Absolutely. Um, I think that she was so spot on when she mentioned that black women in this country are the least protected and the most despised. Uh, I, I think that that is symptomatic of the fact that we are not only women, so there's sexism. But it intersects with the fact that we are a minority for Black women. So racism and sexism that intersect to create a very um, explosive environment for us. And so what can we do as a community um, to better protect ourselves? I almost feel like as Black women, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. Because on the one hand, it's as if we're often attacked for being too strong for being too independent, for having to hold it down for ourselves. Because you saw that sister was going in there trying to protect the other woman. There's no men coming to their defense. But on right. the and so, then so the third woman coming yeah, Absolutely. So we're we're so we're 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 chastised for being too masculine in that way. We're not feminine enough. Mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, if we don't protect ourselves, who will? Precisely. So historically, Black women are seen as either a vixen, a sexualized, overly sexualized character. Uh, we're also seen as a strong Black woman who will, to her own sacrifice, she will um, take on the world's problems, her family's issues, uh, suffering some mental health issues as a result. Or you see the, the angry Black woman. Anytime that we are attempting to protect ourselves, we're attempting to assert who we are just as a human, a human being, we are seen and categorized as angry. I see this all the time in my practice when I work with young Black professional women, and they are either fired, reprimanded uh, for very benign offenses, and they're seen as, assert, uh, as angry when they're being assertive, and they're coming in with chronic anxiety. A vicarious trauma from watching videos such as the one with the two women in Pittsburgh. And what it, what really happens is it starts to bring it and weigh on our psyche, which of course is going to affect us in our everyday life. So we have a couple of questions from the panel. Thank you so much. First, Derek. Well, I was going to ask Ms. Anderson, just, uh, I mean, that was a brutal beatdown. I mean, and it was hard to even watch. So as a therapist, what would you say what kind of long-term effect is that going to have on those young ladies, and how would they go about even trying to heal themselves from something like that? I can see that just okay, happening. So the first thing I want to make clear is that racism is trauma. So even if you are not physically injured, your person is still um, safe or you don't have any physical injuries. Racism is a mental and psychological trauma. And unfortunately, as African-Americans, that is something that we're exposed to very, very early, even as early as kindergarten studies uh, will show you. So on top of that, the physical violation of the person exacerbates the racial, um, the racial trauma. So my recommendation immediately to lessen the occurrence of PTSD would be to get them in with a licensed therapist. The sooner that there can be an intervention, the less likely they are to suffer the long-term effects of a violent crime. There will absolutely be some effects, but the sooner that there's an intervention, the less likely there will be more medicine severe. I had a question as well. Yes, and um, so this is Erica Savage, and uh, thank you so much. Hi. My question for you is, I read... Um, in your video, uh, you talked about meditation as a way to create some level of balance. Um, could you talk a little bit more about the meditation piece? Sure. What I found is that we, as African-American women, aren't taught to care for our whole selves. We are taught that you, you grind, you get it the best way that you can, like, you don't stop, right? And so our psyche, our, our spiritual selves, are going to suffer. So even if you're not religious or spiritual or you don't have uh, a God that you worship, just being still, just being able to connect with the present moment is so powerful. So when we look at women that experience chronic anxiety where they're either very, very concerned about what's happened in the past or they're very worried about what's happened in the future, you are missing the present moment. Meditation quiets the mind and the body and allows you to connect with the present, which will overall improve 
one's mental health. And quickly, Joanne, I wanted to have one quick question. Sure. So I have younger sisters and a younger brother. Um, how would I train them to understand how to cope with racism in the workplace or even in the academic setting? It's very, very important that we choose, number one, the academic settings that we're putting our children of color, particularly African-American and Latino children in, because studies show us that our children are criminalized. There was just a young uh, six-year-old girl and a six-year-old boy that were arrested in Florida last week as a result of mm -hmm. typical um, uh, adolescent behavior. So it's important that you that you put your children in a place, first and foremost, that understands the cultural implications and nuances of the African-American child. The other part of that is people are fearful that if we talk about this, then it will somehow uh, cause it. But it's so important to talk to your children about the differences that they may be perceiving in society, in class. Are they... Um, more apt to be called upon for disruptions? Are they told that they are loud and disruptive while other kids of another race are doing the very same thing but not getting the same type of reprimand? So those kinds of things, them being self-aware and, emo and emotionally intelligent to be able to convey to their parents and caregivers that I feel a little odd, I feel um, mm -hmm. different, I feel left out at school. C. Anderson, thank you so much for joining us. Your perspectives have really been so important. Thank you so much. A Florida police officer was suspended after he arrested two young children in school last week, including a six-year-old who was acting out because of an apparent medical condition. The girl's grandmother, Marilyn Kirkland, attributed her behavior problems to sleep apnea. The girl was taken to a juvenile detention center Thursday, where she was set to be processed at six years old, y'all. Uh, the arrest was stopped after a supervisor learned of it, and she was returned to school. Police Chief Orlando Roland said in a statement that the Reserve School Resource Center, Resource Officer, Dennis Turner, did not obtain the approval of a commanding officer before making the arrest on Thursday, as department policy requires. Turner has been suspended while the department conducts an internal investigation. Well, you know, the therapist just told us about this. I mean, <laughs> traumatic. traumatic. Right. So, it seems like all the events really kind of like tie together. Yes. Um, and so when we look at, again, we're talking about children. Yes. But we're talking about black children, black one children. of which was misaged. He was um, aged at eight years old. It was a six year old young black boy that was, in fact, processed and yes. had a mug shot. shot. In oh, handcuffs. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk so about traumatized. Of, absolutely. So that was his interface with law enforcement, uh -huh. who we pay to protect and serve its citizenry, which, hello, everybody, black people are citizens. So And we pay taxes. And we absolutely do pay taxes, and we overtip. Um, <laughs> so, to break up the monotony a little bit. So, yeah. uh, you know, Georgetown did this girl interrupt the erasure of um, our childhood study yeah. and found that black girls at the age of five are less nurtured than their white counterparts. And then mm. when you start looking at them being in the school system, are twice as likely than their white counterparts to be have multiple suspensions. So all of this ties back to the criminality of black bodies. And so, mental health so, issues in the so, black community. Absolutely.
Super quickly, so, Joanna. Uh, the unfortunate reality is that this is what's happening in our schools, yeah. in inner cities throughout America. Yeah. I mean, I'll share something very quick with you guys. When I was in law school, I worked as a teacher at a school in rural areas. Mm -hmm. in, in a rural area, rather. One of the reasons I quit was because I saw kids getting put in handcuffs for merely raising their voice, mm -hmm. for merely fighting. Kids fight. Yeah. Because what I saw was when I was in the affluent neighborhoods, when the kids will fight, they'll call mommy and daddy to pick them up. Yep. But in the school setting, which I was placed at, those kids were arrested mm -hmm. and sent to juvie. Yeah. So what happens to those children is they become desensitized to the notion of being arrested. Mm -hmm. You would see the kids, right? They would argue and make noise in the hallway. And then they'll walk towards the officer with their hands like this, arrest me. Wow. And that is very troubling to know that you have kids. First, before they even graduate from high school, they have a record. Yes. Right? And we know as a person of color, even when you're educated, um, it's extremely challenging to, to find employment. Right. Right? And to, and to get paid um, the money that you deserve, the salary that you deserve. Now, let's look at you have a record yeah. and you're going to college. How are you supposed to traverse and maneuver life with that kind of record? And second, those kids become desensitized to the notion of being arrested. And, oh and I know as, a, as someone from the Republic of Haiti, one of the most embarrassing things that could happen to you is being placed in handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah. So those kids, I saw that I was a part of the system yeah. where I was their teacher, the kids would get in trouble and they'll get handcuffed and sent down to juvie. So I ultimately quit because I could not live with myself knowing that I was part of a system that was failing those, that was setting those kids up for failure. The kids did not understand what was happening. Right. They didn't understand what would, what would happen in the future. Because right. they can only think in the moment, obviously, they're children. Right. But for me, I understood what that meant for yeah. them to have a record before they even graduate from high school. Oh, yeah. So what is happening with this 8-year-old and 6-year-old is not an isolated incident. This is happening all across Absolutely. our country. Sure. Before our kids even graduate from high school, they have records. Absolutely. Long records. Absolutely. I would say that it's, it's the similar similarities that exist in urban areas are the same in rural communities. Absolutely, too. Okay. A lot of Absolutely. the same thing. So that was, yeah. Yeah. Racism, yeah. unfortunately, is everywhere. <laughs> all right? And this is an example of institutionalized racism, plain and simple. Almost every black person in America... Oh, I'm sorry. We have a break. I don't want to skip that. We'll be right back. You want to support Roller March Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. RollerMartinUnfiltered.com. One of the folks performing at the Life Lux Jazz Experience in Cabo, November 7th through 11th. I'm going to be there as well. Weekend-long event held at the Omnia Day Club in Los Cabos, nestled on the Sea of Cortez in Los Cabos, Mexico. Folks, it's going to be an amazing time over those four days. We're going to have lots of great food and drink and golf and spa, health and wellness, you name it. The second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience. Of course, some great people, entertainers are going to be there. Comedian Mark Curry, Gerald Albright, Alex Bunyong, Raul 
Madon, Incognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalum, Average White Band, Donnie McClurkin, Shalea, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, and Ernest Quarles. I'll be broadcasting Roller Martin Unfiltered for that Thursday and Friday there as well. And so we want you to be in the house. It's going to be a great time. Uh, go to lifeluxjazz.com, L-I-F-E-L-U-X-E-J-A-Z-Z.com for more information. Packages are going fast. You also want to book it soon so your airline tickets are not crazy high. So go to lifeluxjazz.com. Got some good news for you. The Walmart singers Cassandra Nelson and Danelle Cross are moving on up, as they say. This afternoon, they appeared on the Strahan, Sarah, and Kiki show to tell their story. They got a very nice surprise while they were there. Check it out. Common, Common, the artist oh, shared the video. Did y'all see that? Yes. 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 Well, you know, Common definitely, definitely knows who you are now, and he had something else he wanted to say to y'all. Oh. Take a look. Cassandra, Donnie, it just touched my heart, man. And when I saw that video, it was like my soul was rattling, tears came to my eyes. And I wanted to share it with the world. I wanted other people to feel that joy, the joy I felt when y'all were singing. If this were, I can't say it. Anyway, I want to invite you over to my show at the Apollo October 8th. trip back to NYC to share, show him your amazing talents and, and enjoy the show. And I learned about this from, you know, Common put it out there. My mm -hmm. buddy Roland Martin sent it to me and say, said, you have to get them on your show. And, <laughs> and so I'm so happy you're here because I saw this video. It, it was it was mind-blowing to oh, me. Wow. There's so Thank much you. talent. And, to and, love, and you sent it off right away. Yes, he started emailing yeah. all of us going, if you haven't seen this, you have to watch it right oh, wow. now. He was right. so Thank you. So, Roland, I know that was no accident <laughs> that your boy gave you a shout-out, and this just happens to be the clip that you get. Hey, hey, go ahead, man, do your thing. All right, Roland, I see you, bro. Oh, my God. So we'll keep following this story because it is a wonderful story, and I'm sure you'll, they'll have a lot more to come in the future, right? So in case you missed the Emmy Awards last night, there were two wins that we're very happy about. Darrell Jerome, who gave an amazing performance on When They See Us as Corey Wise, one, one of the five men who, who was, he was one of the five men whose 1999 rape convictions were overturned in 2002. Jerome was clearly overwhelmed when he took the stage to receive his award for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Limited Series, but was able to thank his mom, Ava DuVernay, and the Exonerated Five, Raymond Santana, Kevin Richardson, Youssef Salam, Antron McRae, and Wise, who were there and rose to give the actor a much-deserved standing ovation. And Billy Porter never fails to make a statement, right? <laughs> Last night, he made history by becoming the first openly gay black man to win the lead actor role in a drama category. He won for his role as the flamboyant ballroom MC Pray Tell and FX's series Pose. Congratulations to both of them and to all of the Emmy winners. 
Well, that's it for today's edition of Roland Martin Unfiltered. I hope you enjoyed the show. We sure did. Uh, tune in again tomorrow when Roland's back. Also, tomorrow is National Voter Registration Day. If you're not already registered to vote, let me tell you, it's critical that you do that tomorrow <laughs> and take a friend or two with you. If you like what you see here, be sure to go to RolandMartin.com and join the Bring the Funk fan club. I'm Dr. Avis. Enjoy the rest of your week. Holla! simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.